For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. As Paul concludes his final exhortations to his friends at Philippi, he gives them some keys to overcoming anxiety. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Way Out of Worry. Good morning, everybody. It is time to get started. We are getting ready to finish up the book of Philippians. We are in the heartbeat of chapter 4. Right in the middle, next Sunday, we'll finish the closing 10 verses where Paul is thanking them for their support and a lot to learn next week as well. This week, we're in probably the most well-known and well-loved passage in the Bible. So Philippians 4, we're going to pick up at verse 4, not uh, before we ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you that you taught us, Lord, that above all, we are to remember that no scripture has its origin in any man, but it is God-breathed, sent from heaven to do a work in our hearts and lives. Transform us now. Show us the way that we should live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, what do you think? We'll start out with a joke this morning, all right? <laughs> what lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? A nervous wreck. Uh, Come on, I like it a little bit. I like it. Listen, uh, we will be talking about having no anxiety about anything. And so, uh, listen, uh, nothing like a little unchecked worry to really sink us down to the depths of despair. And the thing about worry, it's usually for no good thing. A French philosopher, his name is Michael de Montaigne, uh, 500 years ago, he said... My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. <laughs> right? So, the talk about worry. I mean, that's what it is. And so, when you think about what the average person spends precious time thinking and worrying about, they've done studies, and I've just read, uh, 40% of the, those things uh, are, are things that will never happen. 30% of the things that we worry about are, are things about the past that cannot be changed. Uh, 12% of those items uh, are things about, uh, that, about us which people said uh, unfounded criticism that we worry about. And, and then uh, 10% is about health, which doesn't help worrying about because it stresses you out and makes things worse. And then 8% is what our real problems that we would be facing, it's all about that. And so, you know, we've been laughing for 500 years at Montaigne's statement, right? Uh, but worry is no joke. And um, in fact, Stanford psychologist uh, Don uh, Goey has put it this way. A worried mind means a chronically stressed brain and chronic stress generates serious problems. The stress 
hormones uh, dump into your system and they shrink brain mass, lower your IQ, make you prone to heart disease, cancer, and premature aging, can predict marital problems, family dysfunctions, depression, and make seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. Well, now we're worried about worrying, <laughs> right? Like, I didn't realize how much I should be concerned about. <laughs> and, and so uh, I love it when secular scientists or psychologists will say something that the Word of God has been saying for thousands of years. For example, how he closed out the article, one little paragraph. He said, if we could only get a handle on the worry and stress that habitually and incessantly and and often unconsciously seizes hold of our minds, we would greatly increase the odds of living longer, happier, healthier, and more successful and productive lives. It's a matter, listen, of reprogramming our brain and taking charge of our thoughts. Really? <laughs> I think uh, Paul the Apostle would agree. Uh, let's hear from him. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, your mind, your thoughts, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Look at that. That's a gem. That is one of the most well-loved verses in the entire Bible. It's our go-to verse because we're always stressed out. And this is the way out of worry right here. And so how many of you have memorized a portion of these uh, words right here? Just to raise your hand. It is probably the most memorized scripture besides John 3.16 in the entire Bible. What a joy to be able to have it up. It, it's certainly uh, my favorite passage in the Bible. Seriously, really, I mean it this time, you know. <laughs> you know, every week it depends, but uh, this one really is for now. Now, so our go-to verse for anxiety and for a lot more, I should say, because there's a lot here, uh, comes to us with a context. And if you don't understand context, that's why I love going verse by verse through the Bible, because you can't escape the context. And the context for these words is how to find stability when you don't have stability, because he's writing to a letter that's everybody's got their noses out of joint, and there's immature Christians holding grudges, and they're squabbling, and, and, and there's no, not a lot of love. And the Bible says if there's not a lot of love, you're, you're pretty much nothing, 1 Corinthians 13, right? So the context of this passage is talking about humility, saying, everybody, listen, lay aside your differences. 
Think about the cross and Christ upon that cross, bleeding and dying for you. Uh, humble yourselves like he did and be a servant and, and be other-centered. And so uh, this is the context he's saying, stand firm in the Lord and this is how you'll do it. So these exhortations are how to stabilize your Christian life and make it healthy again. And so verses one through three, we looked at uh, last week, he identified the problem. So if you're going to fix something that is broken, you better know what the problem is. So he had a call out to ladies, their names being lucky and success. And there we spent pretty much an hour talking about the silly and and terrible things that happen in a church family when, when there's love is lacking and we're not overlooking offenses and extending each other the grace of God. Uh, it just was destroying the church. And so check, we've handled that problem that was causing the instability. And now these closing exhortations are, are meant to do just that. Now here's how I want to divide it. I see uh, three pairs of ideas in the closing exhortations. In verses four and five in front of you, I, I hear him saying, listen, maintain joy and keep your hearts soft toward one another. In verses four, uh, six, and seven, I hear him saying, stop worrying and having anxiety, pray instead. And then I, I hear him saying in eight, and nine, take charge of your thoughts. Control what you're thinking about so that you will have right behavior because from right thinking comes right behavior. So let's dive in first with the call to rejoice, right? Now, this is important because who wants to go to a, ch a church where there's no joy? And now check this out, he commands them. Rejoice. That is a command from the living God, just like the Old Testament commands, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt honor thy mother and father. This is on the same plane, if not more. It's in the new covenant. It's in command form. Thou shalt be happy. That is, that is it. That is it. And why does he have to do that? Because... We are so tied to the English connotation of happy that we don't know how to have spiritual joy that's not tied to circumstances. Our circumstances that happen by happenstance, and that's where we get the word happy, when what's happening to us is good and up and profitable and comfortable, then we happen to be happy. That's where the word comes from. It's not scriptural. The Christian is able to look beyond what we see to what is unseen because the things that we can see are temporary. Listen, I have the cross reference right here for you. For our light and temporary affliction, this is Paul the Apostle, flogged, what was it, five times? Three times stoned, a day in, in, in the night in the open sea, our light and temporary afflictions, that's how he thinks. Our light and temporary afflictions is producing for us eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, but on what is unseen, for the seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is he talking about? Fix your joy to 
unseen spiritual realities like God's love. It doesn't matter what you are going through today, how serious it is. Nothing can separate you from that love. That love is eternal, right? And so I can have joy with a cancer diagnosis. I can somewhere. You have, of course, an allowance for the way human emotions are. But down deep, nothing can separate me from his love. God is using all things to work together for good, because I love him and are called, um, we're called according to his purpose. You know, live forever. Think about these unseen realities that can cause you to have joy, whether you are like the apostle in this moment, chained to, thank you for that scripture, Adam, you can go back to the text. He is saying, rejoice in the Lord. As he's in prison, waiting to stand before Nero, who's going to probably cut his head off. And he's saying, be happy. In the Lord, not in the circumstance. So in the Lord, your sins are washed away, never to be used against you. He's changing you. He's loving you. I will never turn away anybody who comes to me. I will never leave you or forsake you. Everything you need, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So he's saying, could you please connect with the spiritual truths of your current reality and be happy? Amen? Amen. I, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy about it. I know you're thinking, well, this is just his joy he wants to put in us, and he knows how we are. He's saying, hey, come in. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Clicking your heels, jumping up and down, rah, rah, rah. It does not mean that necessarily. It means this. Enjoy being a Christian. Enjoy that you're saved and that God wants to talk to you today and loves you and you're the apple of his eye. Enjoy what, what he has for you today. All the blessings that are yours in Christ, that you're going to, you're heir to a throne. Jesus said, my word, he said, everyone who overcomes, and that means anyone born of God, will, will sit with me upon a throne. Just get in touch with all of these realities and they will make the same things seem trivial next to the joy that is yours because of all God's great promises. And I, I, my word, the church at Philippi, there is modern day Greece. It was started by the Apostle Paul 10 years earlier from this writing, right? And how did it get started? With this very lesson. Him, he and Silas were thrown uh, un unjustly into prison and, and, and beaten, put in stocks and bonds. And, 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 and what happened? <laughs> I got it after it came out of my mouth. I'm like, hopefully they won't catch on to that. But <laughs> and because of a great recession, <laughs> what did they do? They start having this drone. We're going to sing because these... Uh, chains aren't the existent, that the sum total of why we're here. And so they could sing with joy. And so the church learned that uh, right away. And so that's just what we need to do. Listen, think about it. You're not going to hell. <laughs> could you be happy about that? Let's, let's, move, <laughs> let's move on. I know. It doesn't sound like a really nice place for 10 seconds, let alone eternity. And for some reason known only 
to the grace of God and his thinking, out of the whole world, he chose you. Wow. I think we could get a little bit happy. (laughs) That's what he's saying. And and I love him. He said, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Why? Because he knows it goes in one ear and out the other. A lot. The Holy Spirit knows. No, no, excuse me. Did you hear me? You know, everybody's like, yeah, 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 get to the good part. You know, no, no. The good part is being able to relax and enjoy his love or crying out loud. Amen? Amen. Time to move on. Let your gentleness be uh, evident to everyone. Listen, you cannot enjoy that kind of love and grace and mercy and eternal benefits without it affecting your demeanor toward others. There's a direct correlation between how you treat people and what you think about God and how you walk with him. You see, somebody who's enjoying that sweet fellowship, the Holy Spirit is forgiving me and walking with me and loving on me. You can't be this kind of person. You have to be a gentle person who cuts slack to people because you're rejoicing and I'm going to heaven. My sins aren't counting against me. I'm going to live forever. I'm not going to hell. Therefore, the little irritations, the little offenses, we can just let those things go because of the joy. I call it the Ebenezer effect. You know, at the end of Christmas Carol, you know, Dickens, a beautiful story there. You know, he understood Ebenezer did. He was a wretched man who deserved eternal punishment. But he wakes up after getting it. The lights come on and he's like, I miss hell. Oh, I got a second chance. Wow. He throws open the windows. He goes to the safe. He busts out all the gold. He used to be a miser and stingy and to everybody, hateful and bound up. But no, now his gentleness, and that word means yieldedness. It, it, it means, it's hard to translate into English. It means kind. It means nice. It just means gracious. Now he's going to be gracious to all, generous with what he has. He's not going to hold people's feet to the fire. You said this. He's not that kind of person. Why? Because he's just hanging over the precipices of eternal damnation, and he deserved it. And for some reason, God spared his wretched soul. So he can run into somebody who's given him a hard time and just with a, just overflowing from the joy of the love and enjoying and in rejoicing in the Lord can be kind and gracious. That's what he's saying there. Lenient is the word, lenient. And so, and, and one more uh, motivator he throws in, the Lord is near. Listen, lucky and success and those of you who have your reasons, right? He's saying the Lord's coming soon. He's the judge of all the earth. He'll settle everything. He knows the whole story. And it says that there's nothing whispered in a back room that won't be fully exposed. Now, thankfully, our sins are covered right? But he's going, there'll be no, like, oh, what really happened in that administration? All of that is going to be laid out clearly. Therefore, Christian, in light of him lighting up the sky, the God who made the earth appearing himself and calling everybody into account, 
The things that may have been a big deal to you right now, you can lay down in light of the grandeur and the glory and the magnitude of us all seeing the creator of the heavens and earth. He's near. So be happy. Rejoice. Be gracious and kind to people and one another and lay all of the nonsense down because he'll take care of it. You know, the thing about not wanting to lay down the little nonsense is because you think they're going to get away with it. They always get away with it. Newsflash, nobody's going to get away with anything with God. He's the judge of all the earth. So the way for you to be helped in laying down things that were done to you or said about you that aren't right, listen, let God vindicates you. God knows, and God knows how to, to uh, solve the problem and deal with that person way better than you or me. Amen? Amen. The Lord's near. Let it go. Now, we're not talking about doctrinal issues, and we're not talking about immorality. We're talking about the 95% of the nonsense. Right? Got it? Okay, let's move on. Let's say this one together because it just, it's beautiful. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I know it gets exciting. Listen. If you want God's peace to guard your heart and mind, you have to be compliant with the requirement. There's a requirement here. So you have to deal with your worry and your anxious thoughts accordingly. Trade them in or use the prompt to pray. And as you give those things over to the Lord, then and only then will you find the fullness and completeness of what God is talking about when he says, I'll guard your heart with my peace. So let's talk about this. Now, uh, let me answer a commentator that I read that said, um, anxiety, anxiousness is sin. Now, I stopped to think about that, and I said, I think I know what you mean by that. I think you mean those unfounded thoughts of worry uh, that just kind of choke out uh, God's purposes in our hearts and lives. I get that. But I don't think, and I don't, I want to make sure that I'm not just playing a semantic game here, but I'm going to try to make the point that there, there, he's not calling for a pathetic attitude when he says, have no anxiety about anything. What, what does he mean? Well, what does he not mean? He doesn't mean that we face life-threatening situations or a job loss or a cancer diagnosis or a death in the family with a la-la-la attitude. I have no anxiety. What are you talking about? I just have peace. I'm just singing. Can't you hear me? Come the fount of every blessing. You know, what? I, I, I don't think he's calling us to disconnect and show ourselves to be irresponsible by denying what we're going through and having some degree of apprehension, an apprehension that's free 
of worry. And so let me kind of split hairs here and see if you can uh, see what I'm saying. It's not saying have this numb, oh well, attitude. I've just committed it to the Lord so I don't have any feelings involved here. That's not how the Apostle Paul appears to be. That's why I know he must mean something else here. Many times in his letters, the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm burdened with this concern for you, Thessalonians. I, I'm concerned, I'm fearing that, that I have run this race in vain with you and that you, you've been tempted from sound doctrine and now you guys have left the, the way of truth. So he, he says, I'm worried, I'm fearful, I, I'm I'm, I have anxiety about the churches. He told the Galatians, he says, on top of all my concerns, I have the daily pressure of the burden of all the churches. That, that sounds like he has apprehension about things that are important. And I think there is a healthy apprehension that God's not saying, don't have any of that. That's pretty normal. You're being stretched out to be flogged. You're going to have some apprehension. You're not sinning by that. It's what you do with the apprehension. So Paul would say, hey, I'm concerned about you, Thessalonians. I'm afraid that you know Satan has crept in while we've been gone and you guys have been led astray. But he prayed. See, and then he found his peace. So... We're responsible. We're not denying what, what the stressors in our lives. And we feel our emotions accordingly. But it's how we handle them, I think, that is the big thing. And Jesus, of course, is the example. Come on. He's in the garden. He's so stressed out that his, his capillaries in his skin are busting open and bleeding out. Why? He is stressed out. He is crying out, Father, if there's any other way. There's apprehension there. So it is not a sin to have normal human emotions about things. But what did our Lord Jesus do? Same as what Paul did. With the burden came Father. All things are possible for you, reminding. I'm under the sovereign care of my Father in heaven. Now, I would ask you to remove this cup if there's any other way, but nevertheless, your will be done. And he settled it in his heart through prayer with thanksgiving and up rose the Lord of glory, calm, cool, and collected. And they came running with Judas in tow. There he is. And he gives him a big kiss and he says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. And they fall down on their faces. Why? He took his apprehension before God in prayer. And God gave him peace. The Father gave God the Son peace. That's what we're looking for right there. Now, there is, now I, I in my humble opinion, would call it worry. Worry. There, there is a worry that we are to disallow completely. So legitimate concerns and, and apprehension are cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And there is a worry that you are to disallow from the get-go. Oh, doesn't get in. Done. This is what I think he's talking about. Now, let me, a great uh, definition of what true worry 
in this sense means it's the unproductive, rootless, foundationless, fear-driven, doubt-laden, devil-inspired thoughts about anything born out of a distrust in God, disbelieving all his good promises. That is what worry is. It's akin to the English word worry. The old English word where we get the word worry means to strangle. And that's exactly what it does. It's the part of Montaigne's uh, a statement where he says, hey, I've had a pretty miserable life, most of which never happened. It's the most of which never happened part that we are, to, uh, we are prohibited from entertaining zero. We don't get to do any of that. What if? What if? The, what if? Where, what does what if have to do with anything? Well, you don't know my life. Well, what if? No. Do not allow the what ifs. I tell people who are worried about stuff, could you wait until it, it's really time to worry? And then worry a little bit. I mean, I'm saying, I mean, we worry about things that aren't even, well, I'm going ch- to find out on Tuesday. So you're going to worry until Tuesday? Why bother? Why bother? This is Jesus' point about worry. It doesn't do anything. It's like a rocking chair. You know, there's a little bit of motion, but you never go anywhere. <laughs> you see? He says, it's a waste of time. Which of you, by worrying, could add 10 seconds to your life? Could you grow another inch? You can't do anything, so stop it. You have a father in heaven. Pagans and heathens who bow down to rocks, they're worried, and they should be. <laughs> right? If you're talking to something your hands made and say, take care of me, you're in trouble. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, he says, check this out. This is why we don't worry. He says, you've got a father. Now he's talking in the open fields. He's got flowers and grains growing wheat fields. He's got the birds of the air. He says, check this out, people. Give me a break. Who do you think's taking care of all of this? Who's running the show here? Who takes care of those birds over there chirping away? They're, they're pretty happy. They don't punch a clock. They don't have to go to work. They didn't wake up and go, oh no, rent's due in the nest, you know? <laughs> they don't do stuff like that. Why? Because he says they have a father. So they're just busy chirping around. Now, I've got a story about this that just has stayed with me for, well, it's been about 15 years. I'm feeding our finches in our backyard aviary 15 years ago. I like birds. I like finches. I, I, I like aviaries, you know, just for Christmas, you know. I don't know. It's just, I'm just mentioning in the presence of relatives. Listen, because I don't have one right now. But uh, <laughs> I'm feeding the birds. So from the shed with the big bag of bird seed, I go over to the aviary. I open the door, and I'm a little clumsy. Halfway there, I spill the bird seed, right? It's just a, in the backyard. And, and I go, and I take care of them. I fill up their little trays and all of that. Five minutes. Five minutes. I look over there, and I see sparrows dive bombing. You know, just like fluttering. There's just like a mob of birds, right? Now I'm thinking, I remember this is exactly how it happened. I'm just thinking, wow, how did they find out so fast? And I started thinking, 
that's impossible. They don't smell. They can't smell the sea. Hey, I smell like some bird seed got spilled. You know, it's none of that. Was there a spy sparrow flying patterns? You know, there he is again. And you know how clumsy he is. Come on, watch him. You know, or do they have little security cameras in the trees? You know, just kind of looking. I'm like, how did they? It's seed. Your, your human eye could not see it. Right, and so I'm puzzled by it. I got goosebumps right now because God whispered something to my heart. I'm wondering, what? how did that happen? And, and the whisper says, I told them. I told them, Ross. I told them where to find some food. Now, whenever the church needs something or a relationship needs something, or I personally need something, many times the Holy Spirit will say to me, remember the birds? I told them, I'm going to take care of you. I didn't spill my blood for the sparrows, but for human beings made in my likeness and my image. How much more if I've got all the hairs on your head numbered, all of you? You, I don't have much work here to do. He says the point of saying in that passage, the reason God cares and knows about things like the amount of hair follicles you have, it, it's, it doesn't mean anything. So if he's constantly so obsessed with you that he knows the number right now and he's concerned about it, because he's that obsessed with every little thing, then how much more your rent and your boyfriend and your husband and, and your finances and your job, if he's like, oh, he just lost 10 more. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. And so with a God like that, you know, there's no need for worry. You know, somebody said about casting their cares upon the Lord. She said, uh, why were, she said, uh, at, at the end of every night, I just, I just cast all my cares upon him. He's going to be up all night anyway. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. So he says, instead of worry, use the prompt. Use the prompt. When you start your thing, use it as a, a reminder. Oh, yeah, prayer. So instead of going another round with the thought, you go, you exit and go into prayer. So four cool words here. One, the word for prayer is really cool. It means to kind of prostrate yourself out with affection. It's, it's got the idea of a kiss worked in there too. So it's just this warm openness to him and being with him. Uh, the second word, petitions, really kind of focuses on the need i got this need, right? The third word is the atmosphere of all dialoguing with God. You've got to be thankful and grateful. You really do. You can't be like complaining or whining or like, why aren't all my prayers being answered and all of that stuff. You should be grateful and thankful for how he's dealing and, and that he's listening to you and all of that. That is a it is a, it's just a lubricant for receiving some resolve with the Lord, a thankful attitude. And then the request is different from the petitions. The request focuses on uh, things you are asking him about. So he says, ask me. 
You know, ask me, well, what do you want about this job? What do, you, what do you like about it? What do you want to see happen? Where would you like to be in five years? He, he wants dialogue, so he says, talk to me. Ask me stuff. And James says, you know why you don't have? It's because you're not asking him. You just kind of say your prayers. That's a one-way street, saying your prayers. You know, he's saying, ask, talk to me. Here's the bottom line. He's saying, when you're worried and stressed out, Listen, I'll tell you, my dad, my dad was a big man. My dad was tall and strong. Now, my mother was 4'11", so that's what happened to me. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, she's in heaven. She's looking a lot taller these days. But my dad, you know, whenever I was afraid, uh, there's one thing I always remember. My brothers and sisters agree. We were always felt safe around my dad. My dad was this crazy protective guy. He didn't have everything straight. But one thing he had straight was that papa bear thing. Whoa. That was over the top papa bear, right? And so I just all I grew up feeling around him. Oh, dad's home. There's a sound at night. Dad's home. Right? This is what he's saying. When you're prompted by what if, oh no, when you got that. Hang out with dad. Hang out with dad, and you'll feel at peace. Now, Matt, let's talk about that peace. He says, it's not just any peace, it's God's peace. Now, I started thinking about, wow, what kind of peace does God have? Wow. God has no (laughs) enemy. I mean, he does, but what does it matter? He's God, right? There's no threats. There's no need. There's no lacking. I mean, just think, what kind of peace, what, what's the quality of God's personal, private peace inside the Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? What's that peace like? Well, whatever it is, how beautiful it is, and how impenetrable it is, and how unmovable and unshakable it is, because it's God's peace, he says, I give it to you. If you, instead of worry, hang out with me, I will put my peace like a guard with a flaming sword going back and forth to keep the tyranny of your apprehension and your fears and your worries from harassing you no more. Now, I thought of Genesis chapter 3 when our original parents got booted out of the garden, right? What did he do? He put this mysterious being called cherubim. They're angelic living beings, right? He put one posted, and he didn't want anything to get by him and back into the garden. And it says they had flaming swords, you know, kind of like lightsabers, you know? (laughs) Boom, boom, back and forth, right? I'll tell you what, in Genesis chapter 3, nothing got through those flaming swords. And that's what he's saying. If you just trust me, give it to me, hang out with me, be thankful, rejoice in me, walk with me, obey me, do the right thing, these things. You give it to me, I promise you, that fear will not harass you, it will not get at you, it will not pull your blood pressure up, it will not sink you to the depths so that you could be a nervous wreck. No way. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. You just do your part, right? 
Amen. Thank you, the one person who apparently preached. Okay, let's finish up with eight through nine. So he says, finally, brothers, you want to stay in that peace? Well, you got to think the right way. Let me give you some guardrails to corral your thoughts within these boundaries or deal off. Sorry. You can't have your thoughts overflowing the riverbank, going everywhere, and have peace. How can you do that? We've got a part to play. The Holy Spirit says, hey, partner with me, work with me, cooperate with me. I'll give you the power, but I want, there's some things that you have to start taking control. And this exhortation, my friends, will separate the men from the boys, the women from the girls, and the spiritually mature from the immature. Right here. Assessing what's going on and controlling, filtering, saying yes to you, no to you. Acceptable, I embrace. Unacceptable, out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we take every, every thought captive and make it obey Christ. I've often used this analogy in my head. When the thoughts come in, I picture the Holy Spirit behind me because he's the power, right? And me, because I, I'm involved, right? And he says, hey, son, get that. Look at that thought. Whoa, that's a wild stallion of a thought. Yeah, you know, it's a bronco. It's, it doesn't want to obey anybody. Yeah, come on, let's get it. And we laugh through that thing, and then he says, oh, the Lord, because it's his power, his direction. Pull it. Pull it down. Pull it down underneath the word of God of some thou shalt not, or thou shalt for whatever reason, it doesn't fit what's right, noble, worthy of praise, or whatever. It's out. And that is our responsibility. All of our woes and our heartaches and our troubles can be traced back to a majority of the issue is letting your thoughts run wild. Who cares about that feeling? Who cares about that thought? And we just let it happen. And from your thoughts and your feelings, Proverbs 4.23, above all things, guard your mind, guard your heart. Because from those thoughts, your whole life springs and issues. If this is not in charge, if you're not in control with the help of the Holy Spirit, God have mercy on your life. Because you've been led, but prompted here, and led by that fear, and what if, and all of this, and you're running around in every way. And by the way, the word for anxiety in that text means to be pulled in different directions, to be pulled apart, you see. And so here, the corral, the corral is right here. By the way, between your head and your heart, and thoughts and feelings, you have 70,000 of them a day, 70,000 thoughts a day. And each person thinks about 35 to 50 thoughts a minute. The Holy Spirit's first task is, we gotta corral the, those wild puppies. We gotta, we gotta control them, and he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can, right? So he's gonna ask us, I'll give you the power, I'll renew your mind, I'll give you a new mind. 
That's the new covenant. You get a new mind, right? But I need your cooperation to put in the right things, to, 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 to bar the wrong things, to embrace, to filter, to categorize. I need you on board with me. Now, this is our story. He says, here are the categories. Number one, truth. He says, ask yourself, is this true? Does it line up with the Bible? Because Jesus said, thy word is true. Does it line up? Is it biblical? Is this thought like in line with the scriptures, right? Number two, he says, is it noble? So that's the filter. So every thought that you're assessing, is this a noble thought? It means worthy of respect. Is this a thought that your godly grandmother, you know, you're sitting down with her and, or you're at a table of pastors that you respect. Is this a worthy thought of respect? It's like people would like, wow, that's a respectful thing to be thinking about. Three, is it right? The word right there means straight. Is it correct? Is it fitting? Is it God-approved? Now, if you don't dwell on the wrong thing, you won't end up doing the wrong thing. And that's all over Proverbs. The next word there, pure. Disallow all defilement of your conscience and morality. You know why it got so quiet in here? Because it's impossible to do in this society without miraculous intervention daily. It's already too late for most of us. We've been so desensitized. Just a commercial that we all would sit and not bat an eye. 50 years ago, people would have died, Christian people would have died of embarrassment. But we're in there, we don't even, we don't even feel the temperature go up anymore. He says, Christian, do you want to please God? <laughs> Put a filter. Put a filter on it. Lovely means pleasing, uplifting, amiable, good. So like when a rotten piece of fruit comes down the conveyor belt of your mind, you're able to say, uh, rotten, Take it and discard it before it goes and festers and one bad apple, you know what they say, right? And admirable just sort of means what he goes on to say, praiseworthy and excellent. So here's what, here's what, is, here's what he's asking. Listen to yourself. File, sort, wheat, chaff, good fish, bad fish, whatever that illustration, sheep, goats, Saved, unsaved, heaven or hell? Where, does it, where are these thoughts coming from? They come from our past memories, experiences, media, workplace, people who are smart, people who are fools. We're getting all of that, and then we have our own brokenness. So all of these 50,000 or so uh, thoughts have to be assessed and, and dealt with according to the Holy Spirit. Listen. How about this? Instead of rehearsing your past hurts and nursing grudges all day, you can be thinking about counting your blessings and choosing to forgive. What a difference. That would be noble. Uh, instead of going over all the flaws of your spouse in your head, why not rehearse all the ways you contribute to the problem? <laughs> that would be 
true. It would be real true. Instead of flirting with temptation, <laughs> uh, flirting with, with the assassin. Uh, I'm thinking of a story I'm going to tell you. It's not in my notes. Surprise. Um, in Japan, it was a summer night. I woke up at 2 in the morning because a little toddler was in the kitchen. I don't know why. I heard the pitter-patter. I went into the kitchen, put him back to bed, gave him a drink of water. And I went back. And our, our bedroom was up a little ways. You'd have to climb up on a ledge to see in. A uh, hot summer night, as I said, curtains are wide open. And I hear there's a walkway in between our apartments there. And I heard a just somebody walking by, and I just thought, it's two in the morning. Wow, I wonder, wonder who that is. And so they walk away. I hear the steps fading away. And then I hear, and I think, that's like right outside our window. I'm the, bed, the, <laughs> the window's right there. The bed's here, right? So I'm like, I think I probably need to check that out. <laughs> So I climb out of bed, I go up against the wall, and I go like this in front of the screen, and I meet his face. And I go, no! And I put my hands through the screen, and just probably gave the poor guy a heart attack. I was trying to get in my house. In the middle of the night, he's trying to get into my house. There are men and women here who have little toddlers and outside the house of your life you hear and you get out of bed and you go up and you're face to face and you go back to bed with a smile as the screen starts to come open what is wrong with you? You've got babies. You've got a husband. You've got a wife. You've got a soul. You've got a life that's in danger. And you say, come on in. When we flirt with evil, when the thoughts are here, hey, you know, she never does. You deserve. And you know, she looks pretty good and she's always nice. And Or that money, nobody will know. Or whatever. Money, it's always money. Or, or sex. Or, or power. It doesn't fit in a Christian corral of thinking. And if you let that in and you go with it, you're going to pay a dear penalty. So he ends up by saying, listen, <laughs> in a jam, it's easy. Whatever things you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it to practice. Four verbs. Check this out. He's saying, it's one thing to learn what I was saying to you guys, but you know what? Did you receive it? Did it make its 18-inch journey from the brain 
where you learned it to receiving it. He says, and whatever things you heard me talking to, hey, Paul was always saying, Paul was always saying, but Paul was always actually living what Paul was preaching, right? And so can you imagine living the kind of thing where life so following Christ that you could say, as I follow Christ, follow me. And when you get in a jam, folks, if it's you're overwhelmed, just ask yourself, would Paul do that? <laughs> wow. Did Paul teach us that? That's an incredible <laughs> moral exhortation for all of us that we should be able to say, watch me, watch me. When you get into that position, just think about what I've been telling you. Then watch how I live my life. Just, it'll be easy. Right? Wow. That's an amazing thing. And he says, and then you, the God of peace will be with you. Well, he's always with us, but he'll be with us in a loving, favorable, <laughs> blessing kind of way and not trying to chastise us and discipline us and strive with us. Amen? Amen. Now we are going to talk about the motivation and the foundation for all rejoicing in the Lord, for why we cast our cares upon him and not worry, for why we can be gentle and, uh, to, with all people and be gracious, and why it behooves us to control our thoughts. Is why the God who created heaven and earth became one of us, through his spirit, went into a human womb, overshadowed a young Jewish girl, and God himself entered her ova, an egg, and became 100% human, 100% God, because he had no earthly father. And that's the being who laid down his life, whose death we commemorate this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for these words that just bring life. We want to hear them over and over again because we just are so weak in ourselves. But with Christ, through your strength, we can do all things. And so we enter this time of communion, Lord, with grateful hearts and excited about the, the transformation you're doing in all of us to make us better at praying and worse at worrying and more gentle and kind with people and less uptight and demanding and more happy and rejoicing than depressed. We thank you, Father God, for your great love, and we ask your leading and your gracious hand upon us now in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.